Don't leave your broken heart at the door. Bring it to the altar of life. Don't leave your anger behind. It has high standards and the world needs vision. Bring them with you and your joy and your passion. Bring your loving and your courage and your conviction. Bring your need for healing and your powers to heal. There is work to do. And all that we need to do it is within and among us right now. Good morning. And welcome to First Unitarian Church. I'm Angela Herrera. I'm the senior minister here. And I'm joined this morning by Associate Minister Bob Lavalley, Intern Minister Kristen Famula, and Lay Leader Kristen Satterley. Our Time for All Ages is led by our Director of Religious Education, Mia Norin. Today, Arnie Gullerud is our volunteer DJ. That means he's behind the scenes, moving the spotlight around, queuing up videos, all that stuff. It's a big job. We love you, Arnie. Thank you. Thank you to all of our volunteer DJs. And Michaela and Cheryl round out the team as our ushers. We welcome all of you. We're so glad to be with you this morning. And if you are a new visitor, we especially welcome you and we invite you if you feel comfortable to put your name and location in the chat so that we can greet you personally. Now there is a lot of cool stuff going on at First Unitarian. We are in full swing with fall right now. We have some invitations and some announcements to share with you this morning. And we're starting with an invitation to a special ritual happening this month. Sarah Wofford is going to tell you about it. She is a leader in our congregation's pagan group. And you might remember that she shared the pulpit with me a few weeks ago. Sarah. Thank you. Last Sunday, I sat in the back of the sanctuary next to the memorial flower altar. Do we have a picture of that, Ernie? Thank you, here it is. A little over a year ago, our church's pagan group, Coyote Willow Cups, created and dedicated this altar for use by the church to give us a way to commemorate all our loved ones who had died from any cause during the pandemic. While sitting next to this flower altar last week, I tried to count petals. I'm not sure exactly how many there are, but there are at least 120. 120 names, each one, someone who was known and loved by someone in this congregation. So many lives and stories ended in so brief a time. Individually, we may not have felt it so keenly, but taken together, it is a heavy burden carried collectively by the people of this church. We want to take time to honor that loss and grief together. For many pagans, autumn is a time to remember ancestors and lost loved ones in holy ritual. And Samhain is one of the ancient holidays that we observe for that purpose. This Samhain, Coyote Willow Cups, in collaboration with the ministers and worship staff, invite all of you to join us Sunday, October 30th at 6 p.m. in the Courtyard and Memorial Hall in a ritual to honor the individuals whose names are on this altar. Offer those petals to a sacred flame and perhaps more importantly, to be with each other in communal support as we care for each other. If you placed a name on this altar, we especially invite you, if you wish, to say the name aloud during the ritual 
and place the petal into the sacred flame. For those who are unable to attend, we will perform that service for you. The memorial staff and volunteers will prepare refreshments to share afterwards as we hold each other in communion. We hope you'll join us. Good morning, friends. An in-person all-church Halloween party is being planned for Saturday, October 29th at 6 p.m. in the social hall. We hope to have food, dancing, karaoke, a family-friendly costume contest, games for all ages, and a haunted forest walk in the wildlife habitat. Are you a DJ, a cook, a set decorator, an artist? Maybe you just love Halloween and want to help us bring the spirit of the season to the church. You are invited to a planning meeting at 1230 today in the social hall. First Unitarian is also excited to host Sol Ikanto in concert on Saturday, October 22nd. Sol Ikanto is a pan Latin musical duo featuring Brian and Rosie Amador. Brian has New Mexican roots and Rosie hails from Argentina. Their original songs are distinguished by poetic, often quirky lyrics set in a framework of varied musical styles with surprising twists. They can make you dance, laugh, cry, and sigh all in one concert. Tickets are available on the church website. Check our Facebook event for more information. And as many folks know, First Unitarian has applied to the city to be part of its Safe Outdoor Spaces program. Specifically, we would create a safe space for 10 cars to park overnight for people facing homelessness who must sleep in their cars. The application is still awaiting approval and even if it is approved, there, there are still other pieces that must be in place before it could open. The program includes security and pre-screening of participants. We've let the Neighborhood Association know about our application and we'll keep you posted on our progress. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to Reverend Bob. Now our uh, wonderful Michaela Runs Whitmore will share a few words. So last Sunday, our family dropped my daughter Umea off at church to go on a youth overnight trip to Las Cruces to attend a pride parade with another UU church. This may not sound like a big deal to you, but it was. Umea has been struggling lately. What with COVID and turning 13, everything she knew about herself and the world has turned upside down and inside out. She's turned to kids here at church who bonded over OWL last spring. OWL stands for Our Whole Lives. It's the UU curriculum for sex education for second and third grade, and then fourth and fifth grade, and then again at seventh and eighth grade. So since their seventh and eighth grade class, Ume has been excited for church events to spend time with kids who are learning how to be unabashedly, unapologetically who they are. Not only are they joyfully ignoring the ill-fitting labels that the world has to offer, they are strong enough and supported enough to discover their own identities, their own fabulous selves, which is great because Umea's not really sure who she is right now. I just turned 47 and I'm not even sure I know who I am right now either, or rather, I'm continually shocked to discover that life is just one continual journey of rediscovering who you are now and how on earth to change your life to get more of what you want and less of what you settle for. 
what asks you to settle. As I watched my girl laughing and talking to these sparkling youth, I was filled with gratitude for Alana and several parents who stepped up to help these kids to parent these kids, my kid, in a way that I can't. Teaching lessons that I can't in an environment that's as safe as I could possibly ask for. I felt that gratitude well up in me as I pictured them on their journey, traveling farther and farther away. And yes, that's a metaphor for what I love about this church. We come together, all hurting in some ways and rocking it in others, and we parent each other's kids. We love each other through our discoveries. We mentor younger people through this strange journey toward adulthood and the even stranger journey from adulthood toward the end of our lives. We pledge to live our lives together in service of one another, meeting each other where we are on our journeys, not to teach one lesson, one truth, not to prune ourselves into one vision of what's right in this world or in the afterlife. We share, we promise to share all the wisdom we find from all the sources throughout our lives. Together, we test the truths that grow our compassion and gratitude and joy in relationship with one another. What connects us is what's true. When you make your financial pledge this year, I don't want you to think about charity. Giving to this church is not giving to charity. We are a community and your pledge is the measure of your life that you will share here among us in this church family that's here for our kids and the people you will come to love and you. Even with all the chaos of COVID, we managed to keep our doors open for new members who found us over the past few years. We've staffed up for all the ambitious programs here that support our learning and growing for ourselves and for supporting our community. Our numbers have grown, our staff has grown, our budget has grown, but our pledges have not. Last year, our pledge campaign came up short until one family stepped up with a radically generous donation to fund us through the, through the year. But this year, our pledge campaign will have to answer the question of whether we can support this church we've built or not. With your pledges, we want to maintain our fabulous restructured staff and help them weather this economy with a modest cost of living adjustment. We wanna continue funding our eighth principal work following our year of learning with a year of action. We're hoping your pledges will fund a campus master plan to figure out how we'll fully incorporate the ARC building and maybe our new safe outdoor space and how we can phase out the Arnold Wesson building and make all the other improvements we'll need in our church buildings and our campus over time. There's a lot to do and a lot to maintain. I know budgets are tight and many of you give all you can. And trust me for that, we are so grateful. If you have not pledged before, or if you're still thinking about giving to this church like a charity, I challenge you to think about what this church means to you, to your life, to this community, and ask, what church do you want to create with your pledge? Visit the church's webpage to see suggested pledges. We've got a giving page that, that shows some suggested pledges to sustain our church or 
help our church really be transformational in this community. Let's make a church strong enough to stand against the tide of hate we see all around us. We need this church to be a beacon of learning and love for all of us at every stage of our life journeys. Umea needs it. So do I. So do we all. So do we all. If you have a chalice or candle set up, please join us as we light our congregational chalice with the poem Hope by Rosemary Watola Traumer. Hope has holes in its pockets. It leaves little crumb trails so that we, when anxious, can follow it. Hope's secret, it doesn't know the destination. It knows only that all roads begin with one foot in front of the other. Hi, I'm Isla Rose. Please join me in the children's affirmation. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Good morning to all of our wonderful Zoom people here at First Unitarian of Albuquerque on this Sunday morning in October. I would like to teach you a song that was written by Paul Vasile, and the words are adapted from St. Teresa of Calcutta. It's called I Can Do Small Things. I'll sing it once through, then I will line it out so you can sing along on Zoom, and then we'll I'll sing it through again so you can sing the whole thing together. So we'll do it at least three times, maybe four. Here's I Can Do Small Things. I may never do great things that can move earth and heaven above, but I can do small, small things and do them with great love, and do them with great love. That's the whole song. That can move earth and heaven above That can move earth and heaven above But I can do small, small things But I can do small, small things And do them with great love And do them with great love And do them with great love And do And do them 
Thank you for singing with me. Good morning. Have you ever had a day when just absolutely nothing seemed to go right? And in fact, most things went horribly wrong. Well, we've all had them and kids have them too. I'm gonna to tell a story today that you might be very familiar with. It's a classic, which this year is 50 years old. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And it's by Judith Bjorst. I have loved this story, a funny yet serious story, since it was published in 1972. At the time, it was remarkable for its truth-telling to children, acknowledging that they and everyone has bad, terrible, and sometimes really horrible days. While this story comes from a picture book, I'm sure you can conjure up the pictures in your mind to go with this story. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, my brother Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal and my brother Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. And in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm gonna be car sick. No one even answered. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of a sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell. It was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moya was his next best friend. And I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and Paul's lunch had a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. 
come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'll be in Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes, but then the shoe man said, we're all sold out of those. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk and I was as careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans with dinner and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nook, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep and my Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says, some days, are just like that. Let's pause the chat for a few moments while we move into a time of meditation and prayer. Find a comfortable seat. Hmm. Let's meditate on this rainy day on the water that's near us. As we soften into the flow of our breath, let's consider the many ways that water flows. With each example, picture that flow in your mind. Picture water vapor rising from the ocean to become clouds, traveling hundreds of miles until it can go no further and releases itself back to the earth as rain. Picture the Rio Grande starting in the Rockies in Colorado and flowing south through New Mexico, becoming the border between two countries, drying up and filling again as the seasons turn, irrigating crops, providing a home to so many kinds of creatures, sating the thirst of people 
and eventually arriving at the sea. Picture a cottonwood tree at the edge of the river, drawing water into its roots and moving that water a hundred feet up through its trunk until it fills its leaves. Picture going to your sink and turning on the faucet. Water flows from your tap. Perhaps you fill a glass to drink. Perhaps you wash your hands. The water flows for you. Picture water in your body. Notice the water in your mouth. Feel the moisture in your eyes. Perhaps you sense your blood moving with your pulse. water flowing. Turn your attention now to your breath. Don't try to chase it or fix it. Just be a witness to your breath. And with that flow, let's sit together in silence. If we all are made of stars, then together we are a constellation. The more we share our lights, those things that are meaningful to us, that spark our hearts, the brighter we will shine. 
When the video begins, share your joys and worries. Raise them to the sky as you may hear my cat doing in the background. Your hopes and fears in this constellation of love so we may hold them together. If you're not able to write them in the chat bar today, or if they are too tender to share widely, we'd still love to hear from you. Send an email to caring at uuabq.org at any time. Now let us share what is on our hearts. espejo y veo el reflejo de un show está vivido con esfuerzo que va quemando el amor ardiente como el fuego amor de madre amor de hijos siguiendo fieles el ejemplo de cristo hay tanto que dar y tan poco que pedir Madre Santa del Cielo Hoy cantamos para ti Unidos en la alianza de amor Vamos construyendo sueños Juntos en la misión Tú y yo por ellos Toma mi vida, piensa mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre a amar la verdad Y así lograr la santidad Déjame educarte, quiero transformarte, hijo predilecto, y yo voy a guiarte, y sigue a tu hermano, sé todo para todos, entrégate sin miedo, y descubre tu misión, y yo sembraré en la tierra fértil, llenar el huerto Madre Santa del Cielo, hoy cantamos para ti Unidos en lazos de fe Vamos construyendo sueños Juntos en la misión, tú y yo A mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre A amar la verdad Y así lograr La santidad
sentida All these we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. Let's bind our hearts together in prayer. We mourn with Pamela Livingston, who is grieving the loss of her sister-in-law, Martha Mims Dowling. May her memories of mouth Martha be a blessing and may light perpetual shine upon Martha. We pray for Marty Malecki, who is in the hospital and very ill. May his suffering be eased, and may Connie and the rest of his loved ones be carried in the hearts of this congregation. We lift up John Ellig, who has entered hospice. May he and his loved ones feel the care of this congregation as he enters this sacred time. We send our thoughts to our Director of Religious Education, Mia Noren, and our Youth Coordinator, Alana Rodriguez, as they'll be traveling to Birmingham, Alabama for the Liberal Religious Educators Association Conference. May their travels, travels be safe, and may their time in Birmingham be enlightening. We give thanks for all those who participated in yesterday's Peaceful Dialogue Workshop organized by our Healthy Communities Committee. May we as a congregation strive to listen more than we speak and stay willing to be surprised by what we hear. We celebrate our Unitarian Universalist commitment to a more just and caring world. May our example show that a progressive religion is alive and well and may it be a welcoming beacon to all. We pray for all of us who struggle with anxiety and depression and anger and so many other reactions to an overwhelming world. May we move as one from desolation to resilience. May we see what is still joyful and beautiful May we know that there is light in the darkness. May we be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. May we be peaceful. Yes, peace be with you.
Our reading this morning is Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12 in the Hebrew Scriptures. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Looks like the cat found you, Kristen. <laughs> when I was about a junior in college and I was majoring in philosophy and religion, I took a class on the Greek philosophers. The professor who taught it also worked as a hospice chaplain. And at the time I'd, I'd only just started to think that maybe, possibly I might become a minister someday. I didn't have any experience with chaplaincy at that point. So when I learned that my professor worked with people at the end of life, I said, wow, it must be really intense to work with people who are dying. And he said, dying? The way I see it, they're still living. People are living all the way up to the end of their life. That was a good reframe, right? Life might be temporary for all of us, and some of us might have the sense that our timeline is shorter than others. But we also have the present moment. We've got now. And whatever we think might happen tomorrow, today is really valuable. Today is for living. That life-death thing is this tension that we have to deal with right from the start, right? Like right from that mysterious moment when you could say that we begin to exist in the person sense. Right from that moment, life is just risky. Right from the get-go, there's just a million things that could go wrong. For the most part, we're pretty much able to live with that, like really live in spite of that, live right along with it. We have to be able to do that in order to enjoy life after all. So we each develop a certain level of risk tolerance. And most of that is pretty subconscious. Like you probably have not thought this morning that an asteroid could strike you at any moment, or you could accidentally ingest poison in your breakfast oats or fall into a sinkhole. I mean, you hadn't thought of it until just now, right? <laughs> Sorry, freak accidents can happen. But if we were to worry all the time about all the bad things that could happen, we would totally miss out on the present moment. And like now I can hear the voice of my own therapist speaking. I was feeling really anxious a while back and I was starting to list all of the things that could go wrong that I would really hate, none of which I actually have any ability to control. And she said, what if it turns out great? <laughs> Just like a really helpful line. What if it turns out great? When we are living well, we're aware of the risks. We might make, we definitely make some choices to help keep ourselves within our level of risk tolerance, but we don't really spend too much of our precious lives in a state of fear. 
But when things do go wrong and we experience something traumatic, that can shift the way we perceive things for a while. What do I mean by traumatic? That traumatic, that word has a lot of miles on it. It gets tossed around a lot. And there are a lot of definitions of trauma out there. The American Psychiatric Association defines a traumatic stressor as any event or events that may cause or threaten death, serious injury, or sexual violence to an individual, close family member, or friend. So anything that might cause or threaten death, injury, or sexual violence to the self or a family member or a close friend. Other definitions include that something becomes traumatic when it overwhelms your ability to cope or it causes feelings of helplessness. Some definitions draw a distinction between trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T. Trauma with a big T being those physical or life-threatening kind and then little t trauma being those things that cause us distress but which don't involve violence or disaster. That little t category is pretty big and vague which is why the word trauma might seem overused. There is acute trauma, trauma that occurs in response to one distinct event. There's chronic trauma which happens when there are repeated events. And there's complex trauma, which develops when a person faces a whole constellation of traumatic things. There's also something called indirect trauma, which comes from being close to terrible events, even if they don't happen to you directly. The first definition, the one from the American Psychiatric Association spoke to that when it included family members and close friends. But witnessing a traumatic event can cause indirect trauma to the witness, even if it happens to a stranger healthcare workers and ministers and therapists and others in helping professions often show signs of indirect trauma from working with traumatized people. And then finally, there's something called collective trauma, which is a shared emotional response to terrible events that many people experience at the same time. So in the last few years, we've been through some stuff individually and together. And I know I don't need to go through the list. You know all of it. And things kept happening in our individual lives as well, probably, you know, for a lot of us, sometimes those things were traumatic things. Life kept marching along, even though there were big things happening all around us. Some of you here this morning find yourselves in the middle of some traumatic experiences right now, while others probably are feeling okay and might be ready to move on from even talking about it. The thing about trauma is that in order to really move on, whether now or in the future, we can't just brush it aside or stuff it down or, you know, just forget about it. If we do that, eventually it has a way of popping back up. Sometimes it pops back up in disguise, masquerading as physical symptoms like headaches or stomach distress. Other times, it shows up as an outsized emotional response to something that might seem pretty unrelated. Unprocessed trauma can leave us feeling exhausted, irritable, unproductive, depressed. So if that describes you lately, the sermon is for you. And if you're feeling great, good for you. This stuff is also for you because it'll help you understand others in your life and possibly come in handy for your own self later on. By understanding 
how it works in us, how trauma works in us, we can take an active role in healing and even in helping others as well. So during a traumatic experience, our brain goes into survival mode. There's this primal part of our brain called the reptile part or reptilian part, and it gets activated it's in the lower back part of your head. And that part is the part that says fight or run. It has a really clear message, just fight or run, get the heck out of there or fight back. And it does this by flooding your brain with stress chemicals like cortisol. Now, if you can escape or if you can at least move your body like with exercise or something or fight back effectively and become safe again, our reptile brain and our nervous system will settle right back down. Especially if we have the support of loving people around us will probably recover pretty well. In fact, we are designed, we are made to cope just in that way. Helping others is another thing that can help us heal from something that felt traumatic. Doing something to help somebody else is empowering. It reminds us that we're not alone. Human connection is really important for dealing with painful, difficult things. And another thing that can help is spiritual practice. Spiritual practices do that by grounding us in the present and connecting us to that which is beyond our worries and our difficult experiences, to so something larger than ourselves, like God or a sense of purpose in life or both. And most of the time, these things are enough. Escape or fight, get some reassurance, help someone else, get recentered, good to go. But if we can't take care of ourselves, either the situation is overwhelming or we are trapped or Maybe we are too young or too vulnerable to fend for ourselves, or we simply don't know how, and the trauma continues, then the brain is going to continue to send stress chemicals out. And even long after the event has ended, the brain's electrical circuits will keep on going. Right above the reptile brain is the mammalian brain. That's the limbic system where our emotions live. And that limbic brain reads the social environment. It notices what's pleasurable or scary. It perceives danger and it filters out information that feels not important for survival. This part of the brain is developed through experience. If we don't grow up in a safe family or if we do, but we experience violence later on, it can be wired or rewired for danger, this other part. The reptilian and mammalian parts of our brain together make up what can be thought of as the whole emotional brain. And when that is wired for danger, that whole thing, it becomes your brain's main focus. This is smart in an evolutionary sense because when we're in danger, we need to focus on that. But when that focus prevents other parts from functioning very well, because it goes on overdrive basically, then it can prevent the parts like parts devoted to language, meaning making, narrative memories and reason. It can suppress the frontal lobe, which is the part that tells us we are in the present with the result that traumatized people can become essentially stuck in the past, like in their actual brains, can feel stuck in the past, processing trauma and danger. Since the brain controls the body, those physiological brain processes create whole body symptoms, especially when the person encounters a trigger, meaning something that reminds them of some aspect of the traumatic event. And that is when trauma turns into post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. PTSD creates feelings of anxiety, like tightness in the chest or feelings of panic. It can lead to depression and 
often because it's so distressing, it can lead to attempts to self-medicate like with drugs or alcohol, which then can ultimately do more harm. Sometimes people who are living with PTSD describe the feeling of being triggered, almost like a row of dominoes just falling one by one or like an innermost door closing followed by another and another and another until the self feels very disconnected and shut off from the world, trapped in that trauma brain. With the body stuck in the brain activity of the past, vivid flashbacks and nightmares are common. Some survivors with PTSD develop poor physical coordination, like sort of general condition or a sense of disconnect of their minds and their own bodies. Another sign of PTSD is feeling frozen in the face of new danger. The brain learned the first time there was no escape. It can make you feel like you don't have control of your brain or body. So then what, how do we heal? And when it feels like nothing will help, where do we find our courage? Well, I think the first source of courage is wisdom. When you know you're experiencing the after effects of trauma, or if you know you have PTSD because you've learned to recognize what that looks like, then you know that you're not broken or messed up or anything like that. And you know that the anxious voice inside is just that, it's an anxious voice. And the anxious voice knows only one script. And that script is doom, right? Doom, nothing will help. That's what that voice says, nothing will help. But you could choose to listen to another voice and that's the voice of wisdom that says, actually healing is possible, help is possible. And the voice of wisdom says to the anxious voice, you say nothing will help, but let's just try it. Why not? And then for good measure, the voice of wisdom can kick the anxious voice like over a ledge for a little while. That's where you get your courage, listening to some wisdom. Now you're ready to try out some things that help. One thing to try out that can help is that we have the ability to regulate our own physiology through activities like breathing, like we do in the meditation here every week. And by moving and touching, Activities like yoga and meditation and Tai Chi, those are healing. Movement can help prevent trauma from turning into PTSD too, like I said earlier. And mindful movement helps to heal PTSD if we do find ourselves in that position. Another thing is community. In his wonderful book on PTSD called The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk lifts up how belonging to a caring congregation can help with healing. It really truly can. And it's a place where we can find the words to express what we are experiencing so that we don't have to face it alone. And a sermon like this is meant to help with that by giving us a framework for understanding our experiences. The healing power of a congregation goes beyond companionship too. It turns out, hear this, that singing in a church choir can help heal the body's relationship with the brain. Vanderkolk calls it an experience of group synchronicity and rhythm which does help heal PTSD, it's true. We have at least three kinds of choirs here at First Unitarian. One of them, the Come As You Are choir doesn't even require a long-term commitment. They just sing every once in a while. You're invited to give it a try if you'd like. You just talk to Susan Peck to learn more about that. And Susan, by the way, has been doing some learning about trauma and music. She attended a retreat on it last summer making this a very intentional part of our music program here at First U. If 
finally, professional therapists have some tools for helping to heal trauma and PTSD. There's been a lot of research on this lately, and I think we can expect a lot more uh, in the not too distant future. And this research is leading to new approaches. So if it's feeling too hard on your own, and even if you've tried therapy before, like if you've had PTSD for a while or trauma for a while, and even though it's hard to find a therapist who is taking new clients and is a good match, it's totally worth giving that another try. Definitely some healing possibility there. Take some perseverance. Sometimes you've got to get on a wait list to make it work, but you can take the first step. So life entails risks and sometimes we get hurt, but also life entails love and healing and connection and things that fill us with awe and gratitude. And even when, this is true even when we have known pain, deep pain, and maybe it's true especially when we've known some deep pain. That ever-present reality of connection and healing and awe, that's a source of courage for us. It's why I chose the reading I did today, Psalm number 139 from the Hebrew scriptures. That was written and passed down by people who knew a lot about trauma and healing. Where can I go from your spirit, the psalmist writes, to their source of hope? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you will guide me, you will hold me fast. Even when anxiety or worry overcome us and we lose our sense of it, we're still held by a larger love. So however you find yourself this morning, may that be a source of peace for you. May you find whatever courage you need right now. May it be so. In a moment, we'll collect the offering, pooling our financial resources to serve the common good more than any of us could alone. Our Change for the Future recipient for September, October, and November is Art Street. Art Street is a community art studio used primarily by people who are unhoused, operated by Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless. The Art Street program also provides art therapy groups with a focus on trauma at the Westside Emergency Housing Center. You can give online or mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. Let us now exercise the enduring power of generosity.
What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and thank you on behalf of Art Street. We are so grateful for the 107 households, 107 households who have already pledged over $240,000 in our pledge drive, which is over a quarter of our goal. Thank you so much to everyone who has pledged so far, and if you haven't pledged yet, you can find the link on our website. As we continue engaging with today's message, you are invited to consider a question together. What are your sources of courage and what can you try? I invite you now to change from speaker to gallery view so that we can connect with one another through our peace greeting. You are invited to place one hand over your heart and extend the other towards your community. And in this way, we are reminded of our connection to one another. And then when you're ready, go ahead and put your screen back into gallery view. Now we are at the end of the formal time of this service. So let's extinguish our chalice and candles together. And as you go out friends, go in peace and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again.